the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There's going to be a trumpet sound from God. And it talks about how Christians who have died will rise from the dead, not that they are in the grave, their spirits are already in heaven, but their bodies rise so that they can get a glorified body that'll be reunited with their spirit. So the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain, Christians who are on earth at the time this trumpet is sounded, will be snatched up, will be raptured, will be taken up to heaven so we could be with the Lord forever. So that's the rapture. And that event can happen at any time. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary's current message series is Answers to the Questions You Thought We Missed. There are many questions we can ask regarding the end times. Some questions that will be answered today are, what is the second coming? Why is it so important? And how is it different than the rapture? Pastor Gary will encourage us to be motivated by the knowledge of the second coming to live a holy life for Christ. The Bible has close to a thousand prophecies regarding the second coming of Christ, and we need to live our life with a sober understanding that every day we come closer to this reality. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message on the end times. Four questions that were very similar. I'll, I'll read to you right at the beginning. What is the second coming and why is it so important? I think it's a good place to start. What is the rapture? And then is the rapture relatively a new concept? And then what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? So primary books that talk about the second coming are Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, uh, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and the book of Revelation. It's important for us to understand the second coming of Christ because the Bible speaks so much about it. There were over 300 prophecies and scriptures related to the first coming of Christ. When he came into the world, born of a virgin, baby grew up to become our sacrifice on a cross, right? Son of God, God took on flesh, dwelt among us. His first coming, over 300 prophecies in scripture. Related to his second coming, Old and New Testament combined almost three times as many prophecies. Almost a thousand prophecies give or take, related to his second coming. So it's important, in answer to this one question, why is it important? Because the Bible has so much to say about it. God wants to prepare us. God wants us to be ready. 
By the way, I alluded a moment ago in our, my opening comments about some of the things out there you, you aren't to trust, particularly those who try to put a date on a second coming. And there's been a lot of false prophets in the world that have come and gone and put dates that didn't happen. It's a dangerous thing to do. That said, Jesus did comment in Matthew 16. He talked about how the, the religious leaders of his day, they knew how to interpret the seasons the times of the seasons, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times related to the bigger picture of of his coming. And so even though we are never to put a date on the second coming of Christ, we are, however, to have an understanding of some of the signs of the times. We're living in a day, this is a safe statement to make, every day that passes, we're getting closer to the imminent return of Christ. Okay, that's a safe statement to make every single day. But we're seeing some things happening even in our day. The alliance that Russia is forming with Iran, I mean, we haven't seen that except in our lifetime ever. And Ezekiel 38 prophesies about it. It talks about Gog and Magog being Russia. It talks about uh, Persia coming together with Gog and Magog to form an alliance against Israel. Up until 1935, Iran was called Persia. So we know where these locations are biblically. We're seeing alliances forming. We're seeing even Russia involved with Iraq in some of their armament. And so you're putting together a picture of what's happening in the Middle East, and you're seeing some of these things that the Bible prophesied centuries ago, uh, particularly through Ezekiel. The second coming is a generic term for a few different events. And first thing on the timeline, I just wanted to point out so we understand where we are in this timeline. Jesus rises from the dead after his crucifixion. He rises from the dead. And then for 40 days, he remains on the earth as tangible evidence of his resurrection. But after 40 days, then Jesus ascends back into heaven where he currently is seated at the right hand of the Father. And after Jesus ascends, it begins the church age right here. Now, we are presently in the church age, which is described, by the way, in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. We're living in the time between the second coming of Christ and when he ascended. Okay? This is the church age. We're living in this time period right now. But there will come a time when Jesus comes back in the clouds only, not all the way to the earth, to receive Christians to take us from the earth. That's what the rapture is. It is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and particularly verse 16. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but originally when the Bible was translated from Greek to Latin in the New Testament, Jerome, who translated in the Latin Vulgate, used the word raptus, where in the Greek it was harpazo. And it means the same thing, to be seized, to be snatched, to be caught up. And we get the English derivative rapture from that Latin word raptus. So it's in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, in the Latin. We just have an English derivation of the word. And it's an incredible event, and I spoke about this more extensively. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. If you go back to the teaching library just a couple of months ago when we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I talked extensively about the rapture. In a nutshell, there's going to be a trumpet sound from God, and it talks about how Christians who have died will rise from the dead, not that they are in the grave, their spirits are already in heaven, but their bodies rise so that they can get a glorified body that will be reunited with their spirit. 
So the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain, Christians who are on earth at the time this trumpet is sounded, will be snatched up, will be raptured, will be taken up to heaven so we could be with the Lord forever. So that's the rapture. And that event can happen at any time. There are plenty of other biblical prophecies still related to the second coming, but there's not another event that has to happen before the rapture. After the rapture, now I'm presenting a pre-tribulation view here. This is the way I believe scripture teaches, that Jesus raptures us, takes us before pre-tribulation, because after the church is taken from the earth, just physically snatched, just removed, just one day a bunch of people are here, and the next moment a bunch of people are gone, okay? Following that is seven years of tribulation. Now, by the way, on this little chart, you know, I have the arrow going raptured up and then tribulation starts. We don't know what kind of a gap is between the rapture and when the tribulation starts. You know, don't be under the illusion that, well, when the church gets raptured, tribulation starts immediately. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. What it just simply speaks of in the large preponderance of Scripture is that the church is raptured before tribulation, but the church might be raptured and the tribulation doesn't start for 10, 20, 30 years afterwards. We don't know when, starting in Revelation 6, the unleashing of these cataclysmic events will happen on the earth, but seven years of tribulation between Revelation 6 and 18 speaks of earthquakes and asteroids and oceans turning to blood and vegetation dying and boils and 100-pound hailstones and all kinds of things that are going to happen on the earth, an upheaval like never seen, never understood before. And so there's going to be seven years of that at some point after the church is raptured. Then Jesus comes to the earth because at the end of the seven years of tribulation is this cataclysmic battle called the Battle of Armageddon that happens there in Israel in the Valley of Megiddo, where nations will converge against Israel and against the God of Israel to make war. And Jesus returns then to the earth and ends that battle of Armageddon, and he establishes his throne then for a thousand years. We're going to get into that question in just a minute. So when we talk about his second coming, that's kind of a broad term that actually means two events. The first part of Jesus' second coming is only in the clouds when he calls the church to come up to heaven. He doesn't come all the way to the earth. It's a snatching of the church to keep us safe in heaven for the duration of the tribulation. Then he comes to the earth. And Zechariah chapter 14 talks about this, that he comes specifically to the Mount of Olives, which was what the angel said in Acts when the disciples watched Jesus ascend. The angel said, why do you men stare into heaven? This same Jesus will return again to the place where he is taken from. And Jesus comes, Zechariah 14, back to the Mount of Olives and physically comes back to the earth. The saints come with him that were in heaven. And then there's a thousand-year reign. So I'm not going to answer every question that long, but I just wanted to give the whole overview to that. Why is it important? 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. The imminent return of Jesus Christ should motivate us to holy living. Because Jesus is coming again. So Christians should be living their lives in sober awareness of his imminent return. It should motivate us to holy living. It is important because Jesus also said, be watching. In Matthew 24, 42, he said, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. 
now the other part of one of those questions is, is it a relatively new concept? It actually isn't. I pulled out some historical references. Origen, who wrote in the second and third century AD, he talks about the rapture. A guy by the name of Rufinus Aquilia in the fourth century AD, he writes about it. Augustine in the fourth century AD, he writes about it. So it's not a new concept, but honestly, we've just given it more attention because of like Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye and a lot of others who have written about it. And, and so it's something that has gotten more attention. All right, another question. What is the Antichrist and who is it? <laughs> I have some opinions about the second question, but I, I won't share it. It's not appropriate. And uh, it's probably wrong, but I just like to think in my mind sometimes when I'm watching different political leaders, I wonder if that's the Antichrist. That's what I think to myself. <laughs> what is the Antichrist? Okay. Let me share a few things with you so that you can just have a quick overview. The Antichrist has different titles throughout the Bible. He's called man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. He's called the man doomed to destruction. He's called the Antichrist, 1 John 2. He's called the foolish and worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11. He's called the beast in Revelation 11 to 20. He, there's a lot written about him in Revelation 13 in particular. He's called a ruler in Daniel 9:26, And he's called the abomination that causes desolation in Daniel 9:27. And Jesus quotes from Daniel 9:27 in, uh, in Matthew 24, 15. And then as far as his tactics go, here's a quick summary of what he's going to be about. Uh, he will be a charismatic political world leader who will be given dictatorial powers by a ten-nation confederation to rule the world for three and a half years. So uh, what Revelation talks about is that we are heading towards a one-world government. Like it or not, the Bible predicts that it will happen. I don't know that we will be here for it because I think when you look at Revelation, church gets taken from the earth in Revelation chapter 4. But you do see references throughout Revelation of the world heading to a one world government. It will be divided into different territories or different regions. And there will be a representative from each region who will form this council. But the Bible talks about how the council will turn all of its power over to one of the rulers among them who will be the Antichrist. Some political world leader, maybe he's on the scene now, maybe not. Uh, maybe he's in the shadows, maybe he's prominent in politics or in government. We don't know. Um, but this particular individual will end up having dictatorial leadership over the whole world. Number two... As far as his tactics go, the Bible says that he will oppose God, he will proclaim himself to be God, and he'll demand to be worshipped. And he will kill those who refuse to do so. Uh, which leads into another question we'll get to in a minute about the mark of the beast. Also, number three, he will gather the nations together against Israel for the battle of Armageddon. That's Revelation 16 and 17. So he's the world leader that brings everybody together to do that. And number four... Number four, he will be overthrown by Jesus at the Lord's second coming and cast into the lake of fire. So that's a little bit about who he is. So we, we don't know who this person is, but he will come under the world scene, be very liked, be very diplomatic, be the one to be able to get world religions together under one big banner. In the middle of this, he's going to make a, Daniel says he's going to make a covenant of peace with Israel for seven years. But in the middle of it, He's going to proclaim himself to be Messiah. And unfortunately, the Jews today who believe that Jesus, that Yeshua is Messiah, they're going to be taken in the rapture. 
And Jews, like others, will still be able to get saved during the tribulation who are left behind, Jews and Gentiles alike. But for those who are left behind, many will think that Antichrist is actually Messiah. And many will put their hope and their confidence in him, only to be duped later when he proclaims himself to be God, sets himself up on the wing of a temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped, and then the eyes will be opened. Uh, so that's a quick overview of the Antichrist. What is the mark of the beast is a question. There are seven references to the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. It speaks of some kind of insignia, mark. Uh, you know, I know it in our tech world, it might be a chip on either the right hand or the forehead, and you can't buy or sell without it. So it's a way for the Antichrist to control world economies. You, you have to worship the Antichrist, who's known as the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. You'll be forced to worship him. And in order to buy or sell, you'll be forced to take the mark, which is some kind of mark, insignia, or chip, either right hand or your forehead, in order to buy or sell. So it's a, it's a way for Antichrist to control world economies. Now, I was in the line at Safeway, uh, I don't know, a few, few months ago. This lady in front of me, stumbling through her purse, trying to find her wallet and stuff, and, and she couldn't find it. And so she just kind of remarked, she just kind of remarked out loud. I don't think she was like making a biblical reference, but she just said, you know what would be easy is if I just had some kind of chip like on my forehead and you could scan me. <laughs> and the cashier went, yeah, that would be really cool. And I was like, no, it won't. <laughs> no, it won't. They didn't understand why I was so alarmed, but I had to explain it. But anyway, all right, another question. What is the millennial reign? And then these are several questions together. Does the Bible speak about what life will be like after the tribulation during the thousand years that Christ will rule on the earth? Will we have to work? That was the question. And will people still be able to get saved in the millennial reign? So let me talk first about the millennial kingdom. Millennial kingdom will be a period of a thousand years when Jesus will rule from Jerusalem on earth. And when you look at Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65, it talks about a time of peace, longevity, prosperity, and security. Now, when Jesus is ruling, literally ruling from Jerusalem, there's going to be a time of peace because the Prince of Peace is ruling, right? So the world is going to be completely different. You talk about one world government, but it'll be a wonderful one world government when Jesus is on the throne in Jerusalem. Antichrist now has been overthrown, okay? Antichrist and false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for these thousand years. Unfortunately, he's going to get released for a short time after the millennial kingdom, after that period, just for a season. Then he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. But when Jesus comes and rules for those thousand years, you're going to have Satan bound. doesn't mean there won't be any sin because people's flesh will still give way to sin, even though Satan won't be around to influence us in an extra way. And Jesus is going to be ruling, so you're going to have all kinds of peace around the world. You're also going to have longevity. Isaiah chapter 65 says, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. So it talks about how people will live long lives. It'll be time of economic prosperity and it'll be time of great security. Now here's a little misnomer that many people go around quoting. It does not say anywhere in the Bible that the lion will lie down with the lamb. 
People quote that all the time. It does paint a picture of that, but it actually tells us in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65, the wolf will lie down with a lamb. It's the wolf that devours lambs, not a lion in particular. The wolves go after the lambs. What it is speaking of is that in that day, it talks about how little kids will be able to play under the deck and, and they won't get bitten by, bit by serpents. And it talks about the wolf lying down with the lamb. What it means is that during the millennial period, for that thousand years, during this thousand year period, between when Jesus comes again to the earth, establishes his kingdom for a thousand years, every wild animal will become tame. And mankind will be able to coexist peacefully with the animal kingdom like it originally was. It wasn't until Genesis chapter 9 when the flood came that we read in scripture that the fear of man came upon animals and the fear of animals came upon man. Before Genesis chapter 9 when the flood ended, animals peacefully coexisted, the animal kingdom and mankind peacefully coexisted. There's going to be a return to that in the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 11 talks about it. So a great time of peace and tranquility. Will we have to get jobs? The saints won't. But there will still be people. Understand, there's going to be people who survived the tribulation period, who've put their faith and trust in Christ, who weren't necessarily martyred. Somewhere near the end, the, the battle of Armageddon comes. There's still going to be believers who will go into the thousand-year period, living as human beings. Life will pretty much exist during the thousand-year reign like it does now. People will have jobs. People will have families. They will live together. It's a different picture for the saints who come back with Jesus because 1 Corinthians 6 says that we rule and reign with him and we actually are used as judges in the earth. Because Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about frivolous lawsuits. He says... You saints are going to end up judging the world. You all are going to judge angels. Now, what he means by that is fallen angels, those who have rebelled against God, the fallen angels. Christians, the saints, will be standing as representatives of, of the Lord as judges in the earth. So we're not going to have like normal jobs like the rest of people, but there's going to be survivors of the tribulation period who go into the thousand years, and yes, they will have jobs like everybody else, and life will be pretty normal. It's just... The big difference will be Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning. Somebody asked, what is the day of the Lord? Uh, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is used 25 times in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. It is not necessarily speaking of a specific day. It can refer to a season. A lot of times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord refers to his judgment. In New Testament, the day of the Lord refers to the second coming, which again is a broad topic, not just a necessarily a single day. Somebody asked, is it possible that more people die by God's judgment in Revelation than all the Old Testament uh, by God's judgment? You know, the world's population today is about seven and a half billion people, and Revelation does talk about the death of a lot of people, but it doesn't get specific, so I, I wouldn't know how to weigh out those numbers. Here's two questions that are similar. Do you think the world is going to end soon because of all the natural disasters happening? What does the Bible say about this? And number two, are current natural disasters a sign of the Lord's forthcoming return? So Luke 21, 11 talks about earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places. We have a lot of that going on in the world today. Uh, Luke 21, 25 talks about there will be perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the seas. So 
earthquakes and tsunamis, pestilences, famine. These things are increasing, but not rapidly so. I think uh, it's hard to distinguish whether some of this is just the natural turmoil of our world or whether those are specific things related to his second coming. But any of it, I just kind of look at as we just need to be ready. We'd like to spend more time with you today on Cornerstone Connection, but sadly, we've run out of time. If you missed part of today's message or would like to explore more from this series, you can do so at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Subscribe to our podcast while you're there so you never miss another edition of Cornerstone Connection. You can even take these teachings with you on the go when you download our mobile app. Life is busy, and sometimes fitting in a quiet time becomes a challenge. Well, with the Cornerstone Connection mobile app, you can turn on biblically-based teachings wherever you are, whenever you have the opportunity. Find a link under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. The questions Pastor Gary has been tackling in this series are ones that are important, especially in today's world. Each topic affects not only how we view the world, but also how we interact with the Creator of it and of us. Do you still have questions about what you heard in today's message? If so, we'd like the opportunity to speak with you and pray with you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.